I, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Alpine Church. Love to be here with you guys today. It's great to be in Brigham City. Um, you know, we're in week five of this series called The Seven Deadly Sins. And so we're calling it Seven Deadly Sins because sin hurts us. Sin damages relationships. It ruins God's good purposes in our lives. It destroys our relationship with our Creator, puts us under His righteous condemnation for eternity. And sin, anytime we, we said, anytime that we choose our way instead of God's way, then these are the consequences of it. And what we've seen so far, so far we've talked about pride, greed, lust, and gluttony. And what we've seen in each week is that every one of these is, is in some sense or another a shortcut, a substitute. Because what we do when, when we commit these sins, what we're doing is that we're trying to get what God provides, what God promises and blesses us with, we're trying to get that without God. Trying to find another way, a shortcut to get joy, to get fulfillment, satisfaction, whatever it is that we're, our hearts are looking for. And today, we're going to talk about anger and how anger fits the bill in, in, in similar ways to the things we've looked at so, forth, so far. So what we're going to do is we, we usually do is we start with some definitions. And so let's look at, here's how we're talking about anger. Anger is a strong feeling of being upset or annoyed because of something wrong or bad. Okay, well that sounds very noble, right? But in our own experience, most of us probably also experience this second thing, the feeling that makes someone want to hurt other people, to shout, etc. I don't know what that etc. means, but you can fill in the blank from your own experience, right? There's a lot of things. We, we don't really need to define anger because we really all know what it is, right? We know what it is. Now, anger, to set the, set the scene here is for anger is not always a sin. You realize that? Because you could have a strong feeling of being upset because of something that's actually evil, in the world, and we should be angry about that. That's called righteous anger. The Bible talks about how that's good if it moves us to action against injustice, against evil in the world around us. Jesus was angry with the merchants who commercialized the temple worship, right? And he went in there and made a big fuss uh, when people were exploiting travelers who'd come a long way to worship God. Now, last year, I read a lot of history, and Last year, I was reading about something that made me angry, an injustice in our, in, our, in our country. See, after World War II, American veterans coming back from the war were given access to low-cost mortgages, the, the origin of the VA program. And it was a great way to recognize their sacrifice, their service, to help them, help these young men get families started and get the American economy going again and so forth. And so they were, they were given these low-cost mortgages, but not everyone was qualified for them. African-American veterans sacrificed and served just like the rest, but they were denied VA loans on one basis only, on the basis of the color of their skin. And that affected their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, because home ownership is the largest source of generational wealth in the American economy. So when I learned about how that actually unjust government policy has affected people even today, I got angry about that. I don't know what to do about it, but I got angry about it. And so if you're angry, I think, with injustice and exploitation and abuse, then you're, you're mirroring, I think, the heart of God. We see that in Scripture. But here's the thing. 
most of the time. I'd say for me, probably 95% of the time, my anger is not righteous. Most of the time, our anger is motivated not about evil in the world around us or injustice, or, but our anger is motivated by our own selfish goals, our own desires. And, you know, just pick up a history book or, or look at your news feed every day, and it's really easy to see how prevalent this kind of anger is in society, in the world around us. People are just mad about stuff. And maybe your anger is loud and explosive, that kind of anger. Maybe your anger is the kind of anger that's quiet and smoldering, right? But it doesn't really matter which, because here's the thing. When our desires get thwarted, when we don't get what we want or what we expect, we get angry, and it's not righteous. Now, what we're going to focus on today is one aspect of it. There's a lot we could talk about about anger we're going to focus on one aspect of anger today. Just try to, to uh, zero in on this one thing. So here's our big idea, that for many people, anger is a substitute emotion to mask deeper feelings that you struggle to express. I'm saying sometimes our anger, often our anger is really a symptom of something deeper that's going on in our life. So for example, maybe fear. When you're afraid, a lot of times you lash out in anger, right? Or how about jealousy? We're going to talk about that later on in this morning. Maybe you have regret or, or shame and, and you find out that you find yourself acting out in anger because of that or anxiety. And so on the surface, what you see is this anger, this expression of anger, but so often the anger is driven by a deeper emotion that's down beneath it. And so we might deal with the anger, but we never deal with the deeper emotion. And so it's like this, like, if you have a kid, a child who's like one year old or two years old and they're hungry, they might not be able to express to you that they're hungry. And so what do they do? They have a temper tantrum. And if you're a parent, you've had young kids, you're always, you remember trying to figure out what in the world is, is why is this temper tantrum happening? I don't know how to interpret it. I don't know what, I don't know what he needs or what she needs. Because there's something that the child can't articulate that's driving the temper. And I thought that's helpful for us as adults because even as adults, we often default to anger instead of acknowledging some vulnerable emotion that we're feeling. What's more healthy is to give voice to the hurt or the fear or the anxiety or the jealousy. But that often makes us feel weak and inadequate. Anger makes us feel powerful and so we let it out in anger. And of course, you know the results are not good. So we're calling it substitute anger because it's, it's real anger. It has real effects of anger. It feels like it is anger, but we're calling it substitute anger because often it masks these deeper emotions that we, we don't uh, really maybe are aware of that are happening Within. So let's talk about that for a minute. The first thing I want to do to explore this is this idea that substitute anger is a false pathway to control, making you feel powerful instead of vulnerable. A false pathway to control. And so to explore this, I want to look at a story from the very beginning of the Bible. You remember at the very beginning of the Bible, you have Adam and Eve. They had two sons. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. And one time, at the harvest time, Cain and Abel both brought offerings to God from, from the produce and from, the, from their, their work. And we see that in Genesis chapter 4, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. 
And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, it doesn't really say why God accepted one and not the other. There's been a lot of speculation about that from scholars and so forth. But what I'm interested in is not that. I'm interested in looking at Cain's emotional response. He got angry. He looked dejected. And so in the next verses, God comes to Cain to talk this over with him. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So God comes to Cain like a loving father to talk this over, to work this out with him. And he asks Cain this great question. He says, why are you angry? And he's giving Cain an opportunity to express the underlying emotions that he was feeling that expressed himself in his anger. And so I think God's question to Cain is a great question for us to have in, you know, available to, for us to use that to ask ourselves, why are you angry? Have you ever had, I know anger is hard, it's hard once the, once the fuse is lit, right? Uh, it's really hard to pull back from it sometimes. But, but have you ever had a time when you can kind of feel starting to boil over, getting close to boiling over to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to step back and I'm going to ask this question, why am I angry right now? Not, not as a reproach, not like what's wrong with you that you're angry, but as a diagnostic question to say, look, what is going on within me right now? What is it that has triggered this angry response from me? What is it about this situation? What is it about you know, what's going on that has made me uh, respond this way and what's going on deeper beneath the surface that might be driving that? It's good to ask, why are we angry? stop in a moment and do a diagnostic. But instead of listening to God and responding to his emotions, uh, look what Cain did next. In verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The first murder in human history. And it warns us about the cost of anger. It cost Abel his life. If you read on in future verses, it cost Cain a lot as well. But this helps us understand why Cain was angry. This is kind of an answer to God's question to him. It appears like his underlying emotion was actually jealousy. Because of why else would he direct his anger against Abel to take his life instead of directing it somewhere else? So it appears like he's jealous somehow with Abel because of the, the, the different offerings that they gave. Apparently, that anger made, feel, made Cain feel justified, make him, made him feel powerful in that moment instead of that petty, petty jealousy that, that was at the bottom of it. And so when God approached Cain, he could have been vulnerable. He could have accepted the warning and owned his jealousy and dealt with it in a positive way, but he took control of the situation in a negative, destructive way through anger. And so anger feels like a way to gain control. Really, it's expressing some underlying emotion. And ultimately, that control is a false promise. Because I want you to think next how substitute anger actually causes a loss of control. Emotionally, relationally, even spiritually. Now, the world around us says that anger works. Right? That anger gets results. It moves the needle. 
when you lose your temper, people jump. It might be just they're compliant because they just don't, don't want to you know, deal with it. They're afraid maybe, but things happen, right? You look at the popular action movies these days, you know, anger makes the hero powerful and, and he wins the day and we all cheer him on. The irony is that while anger makes us feel powerful and in control in the moment, it, what it actually amounts to is a loss of control. So I want to explore this particular example uh, to, to tell you what I'm talking about. When, what happens when a, a husband, just for example, isn't willing or doesn't know how to communicate his more vulnerable emotions and he just goes to the default of anger? What, what happens with that? First of all, uh, his wife and kids feel bullied, and there's this element of fear that enters into this whole relationship. And a communication breaks down. His wife stops expressing her emotions because it doesn't feel safe in the relationship anymore. And then they find you never get to solutions because you just keep repeating the pattern of anger over and over and over again and never really getting down to the underlying issue that's driving the anger and, and talking about that. You end up looking weaker, not stronger, because everybody looks at somebody who you're powerful in one sense but everybody looks at it and says man this guy's just totally out of control can't control his emotions and you trade long term damage for short term results so that instead of helping the anger makes things worse in the long term results can be tragic and so think with me about this biblically in James Chapter 1, verse 20, he says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So when you're angry, you might get your way. right? When you're angry, people might back off. But one, one thing that never happens when you get angry like this, it never happens, is that you're going to see good things God wants to do in your life. Anger never produces the righteous life that God, the kind of lifestyle, the kind of uh, fruit engagement that God wants to happen in our lives. And so instead of anger taking control, it leaves a path of destruction emotionally, relationally, and even spiritually. But now here's the good news. As Christians, we have God's word, the truth of God's word to show us the way. We have the example of Jesus. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But more than that, even more than that, we have the life of Jesus living in us as Christ followers. If you're a Christian, Jesus lives in you and I through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes to encourage us, to empower us, to be able to respond to our angry feelings in God-honoring ways. Now, here's the thing. Make sure you understand this, that you and I cannot overcome anger on our own. We're never going to be able to do that. We need internal transformation by Jesus. We need what the Holy Spirit alone can do in our lives. So Christianity is not a self-improvement project. We're not talking about these seven sins. We're, gonna, we're all going to work together and overcome them by our, how much energy and effort we put into it. No, Christianity is a life of daily dependence on God to do what he can do and we can't do. And that implies to anger as well. And so that leads to the third thing I want to share with you guys, and that's the idea that the antidote to anger is to be vulnerable and practice silence, just as Jesus did. So I want to look at how Jesus modeled a response to the kind of circumstances that would typically make a person uh, 
respond in anger. So in Isaiah chapter 53, the, the prophecy of his coming, it says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Now, it's a prophecy of Jesus on the cross, even hundreds of years in advance. But it's a powerful, powerful thing. Because think of all the emotions flooding Jesus on his way to the cross. Just think of the 24 hours leading up to the cross. There's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and he's overwhelmed with anxiety about what has to happen next. And it says he, he, felt, he felt devastated even to the, to the point of death. And, and he's disappointed in his disciples who have fallen asleep on him in his moment of trial and, and he's feeling betrayed and abandoned as, it, as the night went on. They all ran away from him. And in the midst of all that, he doesn't show anger. He doesn't lash out in anger at those sleeping disciples. Now Peter showed anger when the when the crowd came to arrest Jesus, Peter whipped out a sword. He had hidden somewhere, a small sword, and he cut off somebody's ear. I know I've expressed hurt, hurt and anxiety and anger, but, but Jesus never did. And that night they arrested him. They took him before the ruling council. And the ruling council condemned him on false charges, a total kangaroo court. And he doesn't boil over against them. He doesn't... Uh, lash out, but he remains silent. He says only the bare minimum of things that need to be said in that moment. The next day, he's whipped and mocked by the soldiers. And he doesn't retaliate in anger against them. He has this incredible control over his emotions, and he stays silent, willing to be vulnerable for this greater purpose for the salvation of the world. Now, the psalm, one of the psalms expresses the kind of thing that Jesus was experiencing. In Psalm 4, verse 4, it says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Jesus was, was able to handle the anger in this way. Now, that psalm gets reflected in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4. And I think in Ephesians 4, he's referring to this psalm in the back of his mind. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So he says, look, when, when we're angry, when, let, when we let anger control us, it creates an opportunity for evil to take root and to, to rule in us. I wonder if Paul was thinking about Cain and Abel when he wrote those words. Now, we've talked about the consequences of acting in anger and some of the negative things that, that results in. But what happens when we adopt this Christ-like vulnerability and silence? Well, at least four things happen. First of all, is that we glorify God by reflecting his character. The second thing that happens is we make room for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be shaped and formed in us. Qualities that get formed in us that are completely opposite to the response of anger. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, including things like love and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all the things that are the opposite of an angry response. Then the third thing that happens when we adopt Jesus' approach is so countercultural. It's, it's not what anybody would, anybody would advise you to do, is to just be silent. But when we adopt Jesus' approach, what we're doing is we're expressing trust that God is in control 
And it's a way of saying, I don't need to be in control of this situation. But just like Jesus was on the cross, he was trusting that God was in charge, that God had a bigger purpose, that God knew the beginning from the end, trusting God is in control when we choose to be vulnerable. And the fourth thing that happens when we follow Jesus like this is that our silence can open the door for God's greater purpose. You know, we kind of, a situation like that uh, creates a void, and we feel like we need to rush in and fill the void with our action, with our anger, with emotion, or our words, or whatever. But, But instead, when we're silent, we're letting God fill the void. We're creating a space for God to come in, and he can, you know, he can use our righteous anger to accomplish his purposes like Jesus in the temple, but when we respond in selfish anger, that completely pushes God out of the picture, puts him on the sidelines. But you know, when Jesus stood innocent before his accusers, he had every right to call down heavenly retribution on his enemies. He had every right to do that, but instead he was silent, he was vulnerable, as he went to the cross, and through that response, God's greater purpose was fulfilled, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, I want to make one thing really clear, okay? When we talk about this, whenever we talk about Jesus as an example, I just want to make it really clear that you and I are not capable on our own of being more like Jesus, because we're full of selfishness, we're full of sin, we're easily prone to anger. And so this is not just about trying to overcome sin, this sin or any other, the seven or 20 or however many. This is not about just trying to be stronger and do better at overcoming sin. That's why Jesus faced the cross for us because what we need is not just a moral pep talk and what we need is not just a commitment to try harder. We need a savior. We need a savior from our sin. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he went there to be the solution for our need. He went there to be the solution for people who are angry and gluttonous and lust-filled and prideful and all the rest. You're the reason that he kept silent. You're the reason that he endured the pain. Because on the cross, he bore our sin on his shoulders so that we could be forgiven, so that we could become new and we could become transformed. God created you to know him and to live for him. But we've all chosen to go our own way. We've all chosen to rule our own lives. Every command God has ever given, each and every one of us has broken it. Maybe not in deed, but maybe in word, maybe in thought, maybe in motive. In somewhere or another, we've broken God's commands. And yet God invites his enemies to join his family. Isn't that amazing? And it happens when we admit our need and we come to the end of ourselves and the end of our own limited human resources and we call out to him to do what only he can do. In our brokenness, we come to him and entrust our lives and our eternity to Jesus alone based on the all-sufficient sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. So with that in mind, let's go back again to uh, James chapter 1 and take a look at this a little bit closer to, to conclude. He says, let me give you the verse before it. We read verse 20. Verse 19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to get angry. For human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Those two go together, right? Just like they did in Jesus' example. Slow to speak, slow to anger. They, they, they go together. And so that's why human anger, godly, ungodly, sinful anger cannot produce godly results. And so here's the thing. When you feel anger rising, it's a good time you know, to, to develop the discipline as the Holy Spirit leads us to develop the discipline of being able to step back for a second. Step back and, and, and do a quick check. Check yourself and look to Jesus. And remember how he faced the cross? Remember how he faced the cross with, with that letting God be in control and trusting God to be in control and, and, and not letting his anger, what would normally have been uh, justifiable anger even, to take over? And as you think about how Jesus faced the cross, also think about why Jesus faced the cross. He faced that for you, for your sin, for your anger, for whatever that person did to you. He faced it for you. And then I think I want to encourage you to learn to ask God this question, to bring this question into the presence of God, why am I angry? The question that God gave to Cain, and to stop and ask, why am I feeling this way right now? What is it that has triggered this emotion? What's going on deeper inside of me that's driving this response? And it's not just because he made me angry or she made me angry. There's something inside of me that's going on that anger is probably substituting for. And it becomes a great opportunity for God to pull back the veil, to go beneath the surface and have an opportunity as I come into his presence praying about that, thinking about that, talking to God about it, for him to begin to reveal things that he wants to do in my life, deeper things that he wants to do, that he wants to expose so that he can heal and change in my life. So here's the thing about anger. It makes you feel powerful in the moment, but it ruins things in the long run. Being vulnerable makes you feel weak and powerless and exposed in the moment, but in the long run, it creates opportunities to grow. It strengthens relationships with people who matter the most. And it makes space for God to work in your life. I hope you've entrusted your life and your eternity to him.